Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of worship. It's my pleasure to be able to greet you, and a special welcome to any who may be visiting with us. And if you are visiting, this is your first time or your first time in a long time, would you just raise your hand? Pastor Kevin has a packet of information about the church, and in that packet there is a card for you to fill out, put in the offering plate, and we can acknowledge your visit by letter. So just keep your hand up, and he'll find you. A couple of announcements I'd like to stress this morning. Tonight at 6.30, we invite you to come every Sunday night, but... Um, maybe you've never come on a Sunday night before. This is an opportunity for you to, to come and experience something a little different than we do. But we're having the first of four weeks of electives. You can choose from among four different electives that will be offered. They're listed in the bulletin. They're also on an insert back at the Welcome Center in the Narthex. It's on this, uh, I'm not sure what you would call this color. It's lavender, purple. Uh, lilac. This isn't mauve, is it? There's, I don't know what mauve is, but Mary, you tell me afterwards. When I'll get it straightened out. But anyway, that, there's insert in the back, and also there's a listing of the classes that are here in front of us. And also, there is a, um, a great invitation to join the sanctuary choir. The choir's not singing this morning. One of the few times the choir doesn't sing, and that's so that you'll miss it. There's other reasons, but you'll miss it, and you'll want to become a part of the choir yourself. So the invitation is there. Come enjoy the fellowship, making music with a great bunch of God's people. Rehearsals resume. This is the post-Easter uh, resumption. This Thursday, 745, downstairs in the music room. Just go down the steps and turn to your left, and it's immediately there. And here's the good news. All singers and all voice parts are welcome. No auditions. Ability to read music is not required. So my suggestion, come out, give it a try, not just one week. Maybe uh, it'll take two, three weeks because it could be an acquired taste. And so we'd like to encourage you to come and be a part of that. The other thing I'd like to stress is that I'm not making many announcements this morning, but there are a lot of announcements to be made. So please be sure to read the bulletin. There's a lot there. Let's look to the Lord in prayer right now. Our Heavenly Father, we never tire of coming before you in prayer, recognizing that you care enough about us to be listening, that you desire that we pray. And so we don't do this because it's expected in a service, because it's our habit, because it's our custom, or because some people would be upset if we don't. We, we come to you in prayer because we want to honor you right from the outset of this service. We want to each one of us worship you and acknowledge that you are our Father and that we want you to be proud of us, your children, and we want to ascribe to you the holiness that you deserve and that we, each one, desire to have your way and your will in our lives. And so we ask that you would have your way in our lives as we hear about discipleship today in many different ways, including the message that comes up later we pray that you would help us to know what it is and then to follow what it is to be a disciple. And thank you for all that you're going to be teaching us, all that we can learn. And thank you for the deep, deep love that you have for each one of us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We just experienced Easter, which was perhaps the greatest demonstration of God's love for us. 
Let's stand and sing about the love of Jesus Christ and realize that's the foundation for our love for each other as well. Stand with me, 211. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. We'll sing all three stanzas. seated. When we see God's love, we recognize our own inadequacy in that area, and I thought it would be helpful for us this morning to spend a few moments uh, thinking about that as we proceed into the service. Um, This is a prayer that uh, we can read together, I think responsibly at least, that allows us to reflect on that. When we're done, if you'll take just a few moments and speak to the Lord about the thoughts that he brought to your mind, and then we'll continue uh, with Mickey and his saxophone solo. I'll read the darker, italicized, you read the bold. O God of steadfast love, who raised Jesus from death so that we might know your love for us and that we might 
give that same love to others. We confess we have not loved you as we should. Rather, we have often loved ourselves far more. And to our further shame and regret, we have not loved others as you do, but instead have often ignored them or held them to a standard we could never meet. Help us overthrow those feelings and thoughts which have become barriers, barriers to loving you and barriers to loving others. Please enter the stubborn, fearful corners of our heart with your light and grant us your forgiveness. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within us. Take a few moments just to pray and meditate on those words.
top of our order of worship, it says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. We'll be hearing a lot about that, but we get the opportunity to practice some of that right now. Let's share love with others as we greet each other now. Thank you for finding your way back to your seats, most of you. <laughs> if you really want to get social, you need to sit over in this quadrant over here. This is the group that likes to meet and speak. If you'll pull out your hymnals there and turn in the back to one of the readings, number 651, a song or a reading which gives us some good descriptions of what discipleship is, what a disciple is. And once you've found that, I'll read the light print. If you'll read the bold print boldly, okay? 651. <coughs> a student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. <coughs> 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. <coughs> when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. By all this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. <coughs> Hymn number 455 gives us a chance to exhort each other through music, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs about what it means to be a committed Christian, a committed follower of Christ. 455 will stand and sing all the stanzas. <coughs> Come all Christians, be committed to the service of the Lord. Make your lives for Him more fitted. Tune your hearts with one accord. Come into His courts with gladness. Each is sacred. Seated. 
Let's pray. Dear God, I want to just thank you right now, even though last week was the day that we remember when you raised from the dead. We just want to thank you now and continue to thank you for that. Thank you for the work that you did on the cross for our sins, that you didn't stay in the grave, that you did rise again from the dead. And I pray that it wouldn't just be one week that we remember that, that that would be throughout the year. I also want to lift up to you our pastors today. Um, just be with them, give them wisdom and all the difficult decisions that they have to make. Um, just give them clarity and knowing what it is you want them to say to us and just be with Kevin today. Um, just pray that we would all be blessed by what he has to bring to us. I also want to pray for our military of the week, which would be Steve Sweeney. Pray that he would remain safe as he's on deployment right now. Pray that this time would pass very quickly. He could get home to his family. Also want to really lift up, lift up to you, Julie, as she's charged with the responsibility of taking care of Emerson and Stanton. So just really want to Pray for her strength, pray that she'd be able to make it through this again, and that for her and for the little guys, the time would pass quickly also. Be with Emerson and Stanton as they're so young and don't really understand what's happening, but they're missing their dad. I just want to lift them all up to you and pray for that situation. I also want to pray for our college students of the week. Be with Hope Chambly at Bryn Mawr and be with Dave and Laura Cook down at Liberty. I pray that you would Just help them as they're experiencing learning that they would grow, not just in the field that they're studying, but they would grow closer to you. This could be a time of their life that's just uh, impactful for them. I also want to lift up to you Chuck Young, our leader of the week. Pray for his role at D.C. um, He's just so influential in so many young people's lives. I pray that uh, you would bless that ministry that he has there, bless the ministry that he has here at the church, on the Christian Ed Committee as well. And once again, just pray for wisdom. Not just for him, but for all the leaders that we have here at Alden Union. Also want to lift up to you all of our missionaries, but in particularly, particular Raul and Corolla um, Tourjan. I want to thank you for the great response that they had at the youth camp that they just did. I also want to pray for just the continued evangelical opportunities that you would provide for them. I also want to pray for their son as he's traveling to Ecuador in May and speaking at a youth conference that uh, you would just provide a ton of kids out there that could be receptive and responsive um, to your leading through the Holy Spirit, and you would just um, give him the right words to say as well there. I also want to pray for us as the offering is about to be taken, that you would um, make us cheerful givers. I pray that we would be able to support the work that our church is doing and that you would give our church wisdom in knowing how to distribute those funds and just knowing how to handle all of that. Be with us all today that our hearts and minds be prepared for your leading as we continue to worship. In Jesus' name, amen. We love because he first loved, but we also give because he gave to us, and we're about to give. Let's stand and sing our praise to him for his blessings.
Last night I lay asleeping, there came a dream so fair. I stood in old Jerusalem beside the temple there. I heard the children singing, and ever as they sang, methought the voice of angels from heaven and answering, methought the shadow of a cross arose upon a lonely hill as the shadow of a cross arose upon a lonely hill Jerusalem Pass away. 
Jerusalem, Jerusalem, sing for the night is o'er. Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna forevermore. Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna There's children here, you can be dismissed. The rest of us take your hymnal again, 381, asking God to show us some things this morning that we need to hear, perhaps in a more poignant, fresh way than we've heard them before, so that we can respond. 381, open my eyes, open my ears, and ultimately open my mouth. Let's stand as we sing. came to each of you individually this morning and asked you whether or not you were a follower of Jesus Christ, my assumption is, I would hope, almost everybody here would answer me yes, that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But if I ask you the second question, 
how do people know you're a follower of Jesus Christ? I would probably get a lot of varied answers, wouldn't I? Do they know you're a follower of Jesus Christ just because you come to church? Maybe. Do they know you're a follower of Jesus Christ because you carry a Bible? Although that's getting harder and harder to see because you all got it on your phones and your tablets and nobody knows what you have anymore. Do they know you're a follower of Jesus Christ just because you tell them you are? Is that the main way people know you're a follower of Jesus Christ? If you would turn to John chapter 13 this morning. A couple of times so far this year, we've talked about the fact that most of us, if you ask us what we are, how we refer to ourselves, we would refer to ourselves as Christians, right? I'm a Christian, and yet that word's only used two times in the New Testament to refer to those who uh, have accepted Christ as Savior. Or you might say, I'm a believer. That word's only used 15 times in the New Testament to refer to those who have accepted Christ. The word most used to describe those or refer to those who have accepted Christ is the word disciple used 268 times in the New Testament to talk about somebody who's accepted Christ as his or her Savior. And so because of that, we also have looked at the Great Commission. You remember in the Great Commission, Jesus, based on his authority, gave a command, and he said, go and make disciples in Matthew 28. And that command gave us a couple of assumptions. The first assumption is we know what it takes to make disciples. Not sure that's totally true, but that's the assumption. That's the only way you can go and make disciples. But the second assumption was we are then disciples. Because to make a disciple, you then have to be a disciple. And so many times Christians think, I've accepted Christ, and then the next level, if I want to go to it, is I go to the next level, which is be a disciple. And our premise is not that. Because it's not the premise that's taken in Scripture. The premise in Scripture is, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a disciple. But here's the question we're asking ourselves as we bring up this topic at various times. Are we being what we are? We are disciples, but are we being what we are? Now, here in John 13, we have a commandment that Jesus is giving to his disciples. Verse 31 is where we're starting. Verse 31 starts, when he had gone out, talking about Judas... Judas left to go out to betray Christ. So when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, let a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So here's his commandment to his disciples. And the commandment is, I want you to love one another. 
And so we want to look at this loving one another phrase, figure out this morning what it is, get an overview of it. And then in a few weeks, we're going to come back and get some specifics dealing with it. And you'll think after this morning, how can there be more specifics? There are plenty of them. But what does it mean? What's he talking about when he says to love one another? Well, some of you that are good Bible scholars know. You may have to hit the down down there or upstairs because it's not moving. There it goes. That the word love is the word agape. And I have a nice long definition I use for this because it includes everything this concept of agape love includes. Love is the commitment of my will and resources to your needs and best interests, regardless of the cost or benefit to me. What are we talking about with this kind of love? Agape love. I commit my will, I commit my resources to your needs and your interests, and it's going to cost me something to do that. So it's a giving type of love. It's a love that looks to meet the needs of others. But here's an interesting question. Why here does he call this a new commandment? Haven't they been told to love other people before? Right? Weren't they told in the Old Testament to love people? What was Jesus asked when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? In Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. They've already been commanded to love people, haven't they? Why is he calling this a new commandment? What's new about it? So let's see if we can figure that out. Firstly, there are going to be some new demands. It's not just love one another. It's now love one another just as I have loved you. There's, a, there's something else attached to it that was not attached to it before. Now, something I've got to remind you this morning. The last phrase, I have loved you, tells us something. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ's love for you, you will not understand what we're talking about this morning. It won't make a lot of sense. We're told this in 1 John 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You see a couple of phrases in there. Number one, you have to be born of God to love, and secondly, you have to know God to love. Well, what's the only way to know God? Accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us on the cross. The love that he showed for us. If we don't accept that, we don't know what love is. And that's why this commandment is given to disciples. Those who have accepted Christ as their Savior. But what does it mean? Just as I have loved you. So definitely we're going to have the word imitate, aren't we? I'm now supposed to love one another as he loved me. Now if I ask this morning, and I will ask you, what are some words that come to your mind if I ask you, how has Christ loved you? Give one word answers out loud. Keep going. How has Christ loved you? Keep going. Work and call out at once. How has Christ loved you? Are you still hearing the words? And now he says, just like I loved you, I want you to love one another. 
Maybe a couple other verses. Jeremiah 31, 3. Here's the kind of love he has. I loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. This love is beyond just feelings. It's called everlasting. How long do feelings last? Not long. They can come and go. This love is beyond feelings. Most of you know Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in this, now this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This love is beyond sin. It's in spite of sin. Somebody's sin cannot stop this kind of love. We're also told in Ephesians 3, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This knowledge is beyond our understanding. We always think we've got to understand stuff to have to do it. And I'll tell you, sometimes you don't understand why you have to do what you have to do with this love. But that's not the point. It's beyond our understanding. Stick something here in John 13. You've got plenty of bulletins and things to stick it in there. Go up to Ephesians chapter 5. We're trying to figure out what's it mean to love one another just as he loved us. And there's a picture of this in Ephesians 5, 25 to 30. And some of you, especially as husbands, have heard this before. This picture that we're given of this love we're supposed to imitate. Verse 25, husband loves your, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Question, who's the church? Us, disciples, those who have accepted Christ. So love your wives as Christ loved us and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Again, here's the picture. What kind of love are we going to imitate here? We know the first word is giving, isn't it? As he gave himself up for her. It always gives something for the other person. Secondly, you saw this love is gracious. Do you understand this always puts the other person in a better light than they really are? Do you notice that? Verse 27, he might present it to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and without blemish. When we use this love for others, we elevate them, we build them up, we don't tear them down. If you're tearing down, it's not this kind of love. This love always makes them look better than they really are. Thirdly, this kind of love we saw is generous. You do everything for the other person that you would do for yourself, just as you love your own body. That's how Christ loved us. And lastly, it's always good for the one being loved. In verse 29, that's the two words, nourishes and cherishes. It always produces something good for the person you say you're loving. And Jesus says, here's the new commandment. I want you to love one another and do it the same way I love you. Now, go back to John. Let's stop at chapter 15. 
because that's loving the same way he loved, but as I loved you also means we have to love with the same motivation that he loved, the same initiative by which he loved. Look at John 15, 12 to 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have made, heard from my father I have made known to you. Do you understand, even though this is a command, it's a commandment, if we do it as Christ did it, it's not just a command or an obligation. Why did Christ come and die for us? Because he was commanded to? Yes or no? No. Because he was obligated to? He had to die for us? The answer is no. Why did he come and die for us? By his own free choice. By his own decision that it was something he wanted to do. Something he chooses to do. And the new demand here to love just as he loved us is, guess what, guys? It's no longer you're loving other people because it's commanded in the Old Testament. Now you're to love others as I loved you, which means you're doing it because you want to, not because you have to. That's a new commandment. Well, let's look secondly. Back in John 13. It's a new command because it's a new designation or a new identifying mark. Jesus told them here in John 13 that he was being glorified. He was going to be glorified more when he got to heaven. But he told him, verse 33, I'm going away. I'm leaving. But here's the question. After he left, how would people know who his real followers were? Do you understand? He's going to tell them, how will people know my real followers? Verse 35, by this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the new mark. Remember I asked you at the beginning? How do people know you follow Jesus? You want to know the answer? This is it. This is it. This is what shows us to be his disciples to other people or not. And why do I say this is it? Because Jesus said this is it. He said this is the identifier. This is how other people outside the church will know that you are my disciples. That you love one another. And if you're not loving one another, you're not acting like my disciples. Because that's the only way they're going to know. Now, there's a third thing here, though. It's also going to be a new direction. And you say, what? New direction? Well, the Old Testament, they were told, love people, right? Love your neighbors. Whoever your neighbors might be. It's fairly general. It's fairly unspecific. It's like this comic strip, Peanuts. Anybody remember this one? Lucy's telling Linus, you could never be a doctor. You know why? Because you don't love mankind, that's why. And Linus says, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. And we're great loving other people as long as it's general. But the New 
the direction was this. He's now making it personal. Who's he addressing this commandment to? His 11 disciples. And through them to all of his disciples. And he's saying, guess what, guys? This is personal. I want you 11 guys to love one another. And that's how they'll know you're my disciples. That you're loving one another. Look over in, back in John 15, verse 16. Look how personal this is. You did not cho choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Do you understand this commandment is specifically given to disciples to love other disciples? And it's not just personal, it's also total. Because he's saying, you are to love everybody in this group. All 11 of you are to love equally the other 10. Later in Paul's epistles, you see the verse on the screen, he'll talk about certain churches that had love for all the saints. They loved everybody in the church, in their church. By the way, I remind you, some of you know the old 70s song, they'll know we are Christians by our love. It should have been, they'll know we are disciples by our love. Too many syllables in there, they couldn't fit it in. But here's what I want you to do. Look around. Don't look at me. Look around. Look at the people around. Are you looking? No, you're not. You're still looking at me. Some of you got to turn around because you're up front. Turn around and look. Do you understand that these are the people you must love to demonstrate you're his disciples? If I had time this morning, I'd have taken a picture of the first service and put it up on the screen and said, and these people. Because wherever God places you with other disciples, he says, guess what? This is how everybody else will know you're my disciples. That you all totally, personally have love for each other. You know, it was easy when it said, when Jesus said this, you've heard it been said, love your neighbors. I tell you, love your enemies. You realize all of a sudden you get a name in your mind when somebody says something, enemy? And now it becomes personal. We read Ephesians 5. He said, husbands, love your wives. Is that pretty specific? Is that pretty personal? In Titus, it says, young women are to learn to love their husbands. Is that pretty personal? Yeah, all of a sudden, names and faces should start coming up of people in the body that we are supposed to love, and we're supposed to love everybody that Christ has placed together with us. And that's how those outside of this church will know we are his disciples, that they see the love we have for one another in here. It doesn't take away from loving other people and loving your neighbors and loving enemies outside of here, but this is the way people know we're his disciples. So let's figure out a little bit, overview, what must be understood about this love. Because some of you may be sitting there saying, well, I show this love to everybody in the body. I don't have a problem. Well, let's find out if that's true. Let's see if we're really showing this agape type of love. And we understand from this love, number one, that this love always tries to love first. 
It doesn't mean it never responds to somebody else who loves. But the goal of this love is to love first. We love God because he first loved us. Remember, we're imitating the love that they showed for us. So this love is never, I'll do it if they do it. Or I'll do it after they do it. This love is I'll do it because they need it. And not only that, I'll do it without looking for anything in return. I want nothing back from them. I have no ulterior motive. Here in Luke 6, he says, if you love those who love you, in other words, the ones who are showing you love, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. This kind of love never says, I'll love them, hoping they give me something back. Or spouses, this kind of love never says, I'm loving them, hoping they'll change. You love them, even if they never change. It's this kind of love. Thirdly, to show this kind of love, it takes acting full grown, like an adult. The reason I say acting is because kids, with God's help, can show this kind of love. It's not just an adult who shows it. But it takes acting like an adult. Here in Ephesians 4, notice verse 15, it says, speaking the truth in love. And it's already told me how I do that. In verse 14, it says that we no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You cannot act like a child and show agape love. And you say, well, how does a child act? Well, you know. What do children want? They want what they want when they want it, right? They want to be the center of attention. They want things done their way. It's got to be done my way when I want it done. They speak the truth in speak the truth, but they don't speak the truth in love many times, do they? They don't care what they blurt out. Some of you parents have experienced that. Somebody walks by and your kid says, hey, you're fat. You're going, you're not supposed to say that, even if they are. They understand speaking the truth. They don't understand the love part yet. And so to show this, we can't act like kids. Interesting, in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, Here's what Paul says after he tells the characteristics of love. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. I'm not here to get what I want. I'm here to give what you need if I'm showing this kind of love. This love in Scripture is always fervent. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep your love for one another fervent. It implies it started out fervent, and you're supposed to keep it fervent. And if I say the word fervent to you, you're probably thinking effort, work, enthusiasm, the right attitude. When you're fervent for something, you have a good attitude about it, don't you? To love other people, you must have a good attitude about them. And then this same verse tells us it focuses on not doing something. Above all, keep your love for one another fervent because love covers a multitude of sins. When I show this love, what do I do? I'm always willing to pardon. I'm always willing to forgive. I don't hold grudges. 
and I'm always looking to protect. Notice it says love covers a multitude of sins. It's always looking to keep somebody's sins private rather than broadcast them. It's always wanting to show people in a better light than what they are. Remember we saw that in Ephesians 5 where Christ made the church look better than what it is? That's the same thing we want to do when we love others. How often do we say we love everybody in here and as soon as somebody does something wrong or does something sinful, we're talking to everybody else about it rather than just the person who did it to try to keep it to just to them. You're telling me that's love? This kind of love doesn't tear down other people. This love functions. It doesn't just talk. Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. For love, agape love, talk is cheap. We're all good at talking a good game. That's not this kind of love. This kind of love acts. James says the same thing in James 2. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, I'll pray for you. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? That's not true love. It's also not true faith in this passage. Because this love just doesn't think about it. This love does it. It functions. It's also flowing. It increases. 1 Thessalonians 3, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. When I show this kind of love, I can't ever say I don't have any more love to give. I can't say I can't love you any more than I do now. That's the world's kind of love. It's not God's kind of love. I can't say I've fallen out of love with you. It has nothing to do with feelings. It's always flowing. It's always increasing because it's God's love, not mine. It's also final. I use that word to remind us this is something that is hard to stop. And you might want to think first, how easily is it to separate somebody from your love? They tick you off. They do something you don't like. They don't respond back the way you like. How easy is it for them to separate from your love? And then look at God's type of love, the love he's talking about. We love this passage, don't we, in Romans 8? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I show agape love, how hard is it to stop? It's almost impossible. That's why 1 Corinthians 13, he makes this statement, love never ends. How are you doing in showing agape love to one another? Look back at John 13. We understand from all of this that this follows Jesus' example. Verse 34, love one another just as I have loved you. 
But if you look back in this chapter, you'll understand Jesus already gave them an example of this. Before he ever gave them the commandment, he showed them how it was going to work. Look back at verses 1 to 5 of John 13. Notice some of the phrases in here, if you've never seen them before, as to why Jesus does this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, he knew he was leaving. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied around his waist, then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Why is he doing this? Number one, he loved those who were with him and he loved them to the end. So why does he wash their feet? Because this love is the commitment of my will and resources to your needs and best interest regardless of the cost or benefit to me. Their feet had not been washed, which was the custom of hospitality. And Jesus, seeing that need, meets that need. And then we start understanding there's a secondary need also he's fulfilling because he's giving them an illustration of something. In verse 3, what's he say? Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. So here's the picture. The one who deserved all, serving those who deserve nothing. How many times when we love somebody here in the body because we think they don't deserve it? If you knew what they were like, you knew they don't deserve it. And here's the picture. The one who deserves all, serving people he knew deserved nothing. It says he had come from God and was going back to God. Well, we know that because he is God. So here's the picture. It's the creator God kneeling in love and washing the feet of some of his creatures. Washing the feet of those who were completely beneath him. Who do you think is beneath your love? And yet he kneels at their feet and washes them. Look at verse 14. He says, if I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, And so here we have the Lord of all washing the feet of some of his servants, including the one who would betray him. He washes Judas' feet. So who is it you say you can't love if Jesus could do that? Then it's verse 14. He's the teacher. He's the rabbi. I've washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So here's the picture of the teacher giving an example to his disciples to follow. And then he's going to say, this is the new commandment. Just like you just saw me do, I want you to love each other as disciples in the exact same way. Why? 
because this is how everybody else will know you're actually my disciples. Because you're doing this for each other. Go back to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, I want to remind you of some things. Some of you may be saying, how do I do this? This sounds pretty daunting. Or you may be trying to figure out, why aren't I doing this the way I should be? What's my problem? And Ephesians is written to the church. It's written to us. And in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, we have our directive. We have our commandment. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Love one another just as I have loved you. It's the same thing here. Be imitators of God. Do it like Christ did it. But you notice the first word of the verse is what? What's the first word of the verse? Therefore, which tells us the means to do this has already been laid out before you ever got to this verse. So you look back to chapter 3. And you start looking at, if you're not showing this kind of love to others here in the body, it's for one or more of the reasons we're going to look at. And the first is the word deep. Verse 17, here's what Paul prays for them. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If you're not showing this kind of love to others here in the body, it's because you don't think deeply enough about Christ's love for you. You don't reflect enough on what it means that Christ loved you the way he does. Because if you do, you'll have to show that to other people. Secondly, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And we've already seen, we've been called to be disciples. And so maybe you're not showing this kind of love because you haven't decided to be what you are. You're not determined to be a disciple. And Paul says you have to start working, walking worthy of that calling that you have. Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And it's possible you're not showing this love to others in the body because you're not devoted to others in the body. You're not committed to bear with one another in love. You're not committed to unity. You're committed to dividing. You're committed to have things done your way. And as long as you're that way, you will not show this love to everybody else in the body. Interesting, in Ephesians 1, he commends this church for showing love to all the saints in the body. They were loving everybody in the church the way God wanted them to. Because they were devoted to bear with one another in love, and they were devoted to unity. The 
maybe you're not developing the way you should. We've read most of 11 through 13 that we're supposed to get more mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ and no longer be children. But in verse 15, he says, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head in the Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Maybe your problem is you're not using your spiritual gifts in the body. You're not developing your gifts in serving others in love. And if you're not doing that, you won't be showing what love is. Some of you just show up Sunday morning and you take off and then you wonder, why did nobody love me? You're not getting any involvement in the body at all. If the, if the body's not involved, then the body is not growing and building itself up in love. It won't happen. And ultimately, verse 17, maybe you've never made a decision to think differently. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. In verse 22, he says, put off your old self. In verse 24, you put on the new self created after the likeness of God. You imitate God. And so you haven't decided to quit thinking like unbelievers think or thinking like you thought before you were saved or trying to love the way the world loves. That doesn't work. I wonder who it is in the body that you need God to help you to love today. And if you've been listening, my guess is God has put at least one name in your mind. I know that because a whole people bunch of people in first service were complaining to me that they had all sorts of names in their mind. I said, don't blame me. The Holy Spirit's the one doing that to remind you, you start with one person. And you don't just love those who love you. Why does he want us to do this? By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What better testimony to the world that we follow Jesus Christ and all they have to do is look at how we love each other as disciples. Join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you loved us enough to come and die. You loved us enough to give us your word, to give us your commandments, to give us your help, to call us to be your disciples and to love other people. And help us not just to walk out this morning and ignore your prompting. Because you want us in here together as your disciples put together in this body to love each other and totally love everybody in the body. Help us not to just go back to status quo, but just start with that person whose name you put in our mind and look to meet their needs. Amen. Let's sing our response back as a prayer, number 450. A lot of those things we've talked about are requests in this short hymn. As we sing it, I hope you'll refrain from your hearts. Let's stand together as we sing 450.
just saying be our prayer that you would use us even us to meet the needs of others that you've put in front of us today pray this in your name